0: Good morning to all of you. Whether you are friends visiting or part of our church family, it's so good to sing with you. And thank the Lord for songs that take what He has told us about Himself and His Word and help us declare His glory back to Him. Oh boy. I could sing that last song over and over and over again. If you have a Bible, open it to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, as I always love to say, there's no shame in using that table of contents. We're going to be focusing on verse 18 this morning. Many of you know this, but every Sunday when... We preach in this pulpit, there is a faithful man or woman translating every one of these words live, and that is exceedingly hard to do. Um, they, they are sweating, especially when I get excited start picking up the pace in the words. So um, I just, I want to, one, just thank Elmer. Are you in here, Elmer? Where are you, buddy? Are you in here? No? He's in the back? And Ami, they're all out of the okay. Well, we're going to pray for translators right now. All right, Lord, we ask that you would pour out grace. Um, Whether Elmer's translating, Ami's translating, um, others week to week, would you pour out grace our brothers and sisters? We've sung, been reminded in different ways this morning that you are worthy, Lamb who was slain, to receive grace. Honor and worship from every people and tribe and tongue. Lord, we love the fact that this morning you are being exalted in English and you are being exalted in Spanish. And we pray you would give them grace. The ability to serve you and to serve our brothers and sisters comes from you. So pour out that grace, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Caleb mentioned this in his prayer in different ways, but friends, thanks for the way you responded to the preaching of God's word last Sunday. Um, I I really mean that. Thank you for the way you responded. Um, I was just struck this week that that you are a church that listens eagerly. Um, The two young ladies in the the back we were practicing this morning, they, they already had their journals We're ready to go, Matthew. (laughs) That's humbling. Thanks for listening eagerly. Thank you for responding humbly to the conviction of the Spirit. The Lord is always kind to address us, you know? Whether you feel like he's present or not, he is kind to address us. But, But there are times we experience his manifest presence in a pronounced way. And I, for one, was very aware both last Sunday morning and then also during our prayer meeting last Sunday night of the Lord's presence in our midst and his kindness to us. So thank you for leaning into him, friends, for your your hunger to pursue God, your hunger to please God, to find your joy in God, as we'll prophesy this morning, and and to help each other do the same, because we can't do any of that alone, right? We need one another to find our joy in Jesus. And I'm grateful that we're lingering on this seventh commandment in Deuteronomy 5.18 to consider what scripture teaches us about marriage and about sex and about the faithfulness of God. And I think part of why I'm so grateful we can linger here is that the church has often been silent when it comes to sexuality. And you know what I mean by that? Just that of which we do not speak. And that's a real shame because God is not silent. He's not. He he created Review from last week, he created sex for his glory and our good, which is why we approach this topic, we can approach this topic, not with prudish fear or cultural angst, but humble gratitude and eager expectation. Um, because scripture, when it comes to our sexuality, it speaks about our hearts, what we think, what we feel, where we look for satisfaction and joy. And Scripture speaks to our lives, what we physically do with our bodies. And Scripture speaks to the world we live in that, that, that honestly could, could just not be more confused right now about what sex is and why it matters and what it means. And so our text this morning remains the same. This is part two of a two-part message. If you missed the first part, go back and listen to it. Hear the word of God, and you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. We looked at some foundations last week. We kind of roamed the whole Bible in many ways that help us grasp why the Lord, speaking through Moses, would even say such a thing? Why why, why talk about what we do with our bodies? And and we began by recognizing sex is a holy and precious gift from God, right? As both our creator and our redeemer, God has every right, this isn't controversial in the least, to tell us what to do with our bodies. But, But what he tells us isn't random, It's not a divine fiat. It's rooted in who he is. Sex isn't ultimately about us. In other words, it's about God. It's an expression of his covenant faithfulness to us as his people. And that is why any sexual activity outside a marriage relationship between one man and one woman, what, what scripture calls adultery, is so grievous because it's not just a sin against your body or a sin against your neighbor. It's, it's an assault. It's an attack on the goodness and wisdom of God. That's why it's significant. And, and as Jesus teaches us in Matthew 5, it's not just a, a married people problem or a behavioral what you do on the outside problem. It's a human problem because adultery starts in the heart. But let's remember that in the right context, Sexual pleasure shouts of the glory of God. We got to remember what are we actually protecting? (laughs) Why is it valuable? It shouts of the glory of God. It's an act of worship. But when it's twisted by sin or or when it's it's wrenched out of the, the covenant context of marriage, it it reeks sexual morality reeks devastating spiritual emotional and physical consequences i i cannot think of something that shatters relationships on earth more than sexual morality and Deuteronomy 5:18 commands us to be a people who magnify the faithfulness of God by upholding the sanctity of sex. That's the whole point of the seventh commandment. But that leaves this question. And here's where we we pick up where we left off last Sunday. How do we do that? How do we get that done? If, if, If God calls us in his word, if the seventh commandment is all about magnifying the covenant faithfulness of God by upholding the sanctity of sex... Okay, maybe you're on board with that. or Okay, I'm persuaded that's a thing. Well, how do we do that? That's where we want to linger this morning because God's word overflows with hope and help in this area. This is not a dearth of content problem. This is a deluge of content problem. So for the sake of time, I'm going to confine myself to seven exhortations. So get ready. Number one, how, how do we... This is what they're all going to be answers to this question. How do we magnify the faithfulness of God by upholding the sanctity of sex? Number one, friends, make Jesus your greatest treasure. Make Jesus your greatest treasure. Okay? Why? Because sex is a good gift and a terrible God. Good gift, terrible God. It cannot satisfy your soul. It cannot give you eternal joy. It cannot rescue, restore, or sanctify you. Sex cannot deliver you from death. It cannot hear your prayer, forgive your sins, strengthen your heart, quiet your fears, or give you a reason to love your enemies. It cannot do for you what only Jesus Christ can do for you. And you'll never understand or Enjoy the gift in all its fullness if you don't understand and enjoy the giver of the gift for who he is. You won't get the gift right if you don't know the giver. You won't understand the significance of the gift unless you understand and delight and treasure the giver. Because to a world that says, sex is God, the Lord of hosts declares, I am God and there is no other. Jesus is the pearl of great price, friend, not sex. Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field. Jesus is the matchless one. How simply can we put this? There is no momentary tingling of nerve endings that compares to the joy of treasuring Jesus. So do not wake up and think, today's mission, how can I get some? Okay? Wake up and pray, Lord, help me to treasure you and enjoy you and delight in you above all else today. Make make Psalm 63, 1 through 3 your cry. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. We could add in there Infinitely better than sex, my lips will praise you. You will never magnify the faithfulness of God by upholding the sanctity of sex if Jesus is your treasure. Unless Jesus is your treasure, not sex. We have to start there. Make Jesus your greatest treasure. Point number two celebrate the gift of sex. Celebrate the gift. I want to specifically address three groups of people under this heading, okay? And the first group is those for whom, if you're being honest, sex has become something dirty or shameful. Uh, so something that, that immediately brings up feelings of grief or pain or sorrow. Maybe you've been sexually abused Maybe you've sexually abused somebody else. Maybe you spent years running headlong and into sexual sin in, in all its darkened and twisted forms. There are a lot of reasons it can feel shameful. Regardless of your particular reason, friend, please, please remember this, that the fact that sexual sin hurts us so much is not a sign that sex is bad. To the contrary, it's proof that the gift is exceedingly good. Why? Because the greater the gift, the more grievous its corruption. Right? The more precious the gift, the more grievous the the twisting and marring and, and denigration of that gift. You won't find healing, if this is your category, by suppressing your sorrows or ignoring your desire or just running away from the whole idea, okay? You study what Scripture reveals about the goodness of the gift, study what Scripture says about the, the pain of sin, and, and know as you do that that, that you're not alone. Okay, God knows. God knows both the goodness of the gift and the pain of sin. And he delights to draw near to you, to, to cleanse you, to restore you, to, to patiently and gently help you to, to see as good, what, what sin has ravaged. The, the Lord is a, a redeeming God who, who redeems, as the prophet Joel says, what, what the locusts have eaten. So we have to remember that that the world and all its corruption did not create sex. Your flesh did not create sex. Satan did not invent sex. God did. God did. And and what God created is very good. Marred by sin? Yes. But exceedingly good because God created it. Here's the second group. Okay, I want to linger for a little bit and speak directly to, to married couples. Okay? And again, if you're thinking, man, we're just like, this is all application. Correct. It's the two-part series. Last Sunday, we laid the foundation. So again, if you didn't hear that, I'll, I'll make this plug like three or four times. Go back and listen to it. But I want to speak specifically to married couples for a bit here. Okay? I exhort you, my friend, if you're married... To receive God's gift of intimacy with gratitude and joy, not not begrudgingly or reluctantly. Because again, sex rightly expressed, it's, it's a holy act of worship. Maybe you've never... Connected that before, but, but listen to what the Word of God itself says in Proverbs 5:18. This, this is just as inspired as everything Caleb read from Romans 8 earlier: "Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. What a picture that is, right from the Lord Himself. But but that doesn't mean that receiving that gift, if you're married, is going to be easy. Not at all. Your your, your desires, <laughs> your spouse's desires, they might not be the same. Um, for for one reason or another, you can you can reach a point in marriage where where one or both of you is just not really interested in sex anymore. Um, if you're honest, you, you might be entirely content to say, you know what? If we never have sex, if we rarely have sex, I'm, I'm good with that. Here's my encouragement to you. If you're in that place, friend, do not dismiss the gift or devalue the gift simply because it doesn't feel desirable or, or because it doesn't seem to work or, or because it you feel like it, it fails to do for you what it seems to do for everybody in the movies or in the magazines or in your friends' lives. If, if God, think of it this way, if God sees fit to give a gift, humility leans in to receive it. Does that make sense? Even if it's hard, even if it takes work, even if it requires initiating awkward conversations. So I think the best encouragement I could give you in this regard is to talk to your spouse. Okay, to talk to your spouse. Uh, This was exceedingly difficult for me to do. For, I don't know, the first decade of my marriage. It's hard work, okay? And if you get stuck, ask another couple you trust for help. That's why, that's why we have each other. And I think it's especially important to, to keep clear lines of communication open as you and your spouse grow older and, and physical desire and ability just begin to ebb and flow, right? That's, that's part of a, a broken world where we're all moving toward physical death, right? So we, we need to keep those communication lines open, especially as we get older. And again, if you are married, please take care to use God's gift unselfishly. I, I have heard spouses wield 1 Corinthians 7.3 like a weapon. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife her husband. Is that in the Bible? Yes. Is that intended to be a weapon? not just because Matthew says so, but because if you read that in context of the surrounding chapters, particularly chapter 13 on what love looks like, rightly interpreting that and applying that principle cannot be divorced from the priority of love. So do not demand sex from your spouse as a right if you are married. don't, Don't say, if I want it, I must get it. You must give it whenever I want it, in whatever way I want it, because God says so. Don't do that. That's not love. That's selfishness. That's pride. that's, That's arrogance. God designed sex. The covenant faithfulness of God is only magnified in sex when when it is received as a voluntary expression of love. Humbly communicate your desires. If you're frustrated in this area, if you're married, and then focus on understanding and pursuing what would bless your spouse. Don't don't weaponize sex or, or withhold it. To punish your spouse. Bottom line, sex thrives in the soil of unselfishness. And it dies in the soil of self-centeredness. If you're married, remember that. But here's a third group and a a really important way that that we celebrate this gift. I couldn't give this message without making this point. I want to speak to just a moment to those of you who are parents. Particularly of younger children. If, if God gives you the gift of children, mom or dad, work hard, please work hard. Magnify the covenant faithfulness of God by holding the sanctity of sex. By what? By giving your kids an age-appropriate vision for the goodness of a gift. The goodness of the gift as God designed it. Your your mission, parent, is not to keep your kids in the dark as long as possible. Your mission, what's your mission? Is to help them recognize your kids, to recognize as good what God says is good, so that as they grow up, they are eager and excited about guarding the gift of sex. If you're silent, it will make them conclude that that subject is taboo. It is that of which we do not speak. Don't you know we're Christians? No, no. Our God created that good gift. And if we treat it as taboo, that's when sin thrives. Conversation with your kids, even when it's hard, even when you feel like you're, you're stumbling over your words, as I have a number of times, even when you, you think you're saying something, you know, just personal testimony and you, you hear yourself talking, you think, I cannot believe I just used that word in front of my kids, <laughs> right? Like, like even in that moment, you're teaching your kids to look to you, to, to look to God's word, to make sense of their life. And to make sense of their bodies and, God, and God's purpose for our bodies. What, what a gift that is. So if you feel your need for help in this area as a parent, I encourage you to check out Stan and Brenda Jones. They, they wrote a book series called God's Design for Sex. And, and it's a fantastic resource for talking with your kids about this at, at various stages of their physical development. So we're going to, I'll put this out on the blog this week, but bottom line, whether you're married, whether you're a parent, Whether When you think of sex, it feels shameful and dirty. We have to remember, by the grace of God, we want to celebrate the gift because God says it's good. Point number three. Treasure Jesus, celebrate the gift. Point three, kill lust before it kills you. I'm not exaggerating. Kill lust before it kills you. Whether you're married or single, we're all in this battle for sexual purity, right? That, that we, we do not divide ourselves up into, I have conquered that and am immune to all sorts of sexual temptation. I'm married, and so sex is just this worry free, trouble free zone. Amazing, you should get married. Is the, no. <laughs> We're all fighting as embodied creatures to honor God by upholding the sanctity of sex. And winning that battle means being ruthless. And putting sexual sin to death. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore. Put to death whatever is earthly in you. Exhibit A. Sexual morality, Impurity. Passion. Evil desire. And covetousness, which is idolatry. No, notice that list isn't limited to outward behaviors. Did you see that? It, it includes the thoughts in our minds the desires in our hearts. And, and I mention this principle because it is frighteningly easy to take a really casual or, or behavioral attitude towards sin. Really easy. What's it look like? Well, we tell ourselves lies like, as long as I don't actually physically have sex with someone, He's not my spouse. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm playing in God's little fancy, mate. Aren't you proud of me? <laughs> Friend, that's a lie on two levels. Big time. First, as we saw last Sunday, adultery begins in the heart, it begins in your mind. Long before it becomes something you do with your body. And the second reason it's a lie, and this is really important, is that you will never win the battle against sexual lust by drawing a line between what God says is okay and God says is not okay, and then seeing, like some sort of ballerina or gymnast, how carefully can I walk this line without going that way? You'll never win. That's how you roll. Putting sin to death means being ruthless in running from temptations to sin. We don't, we don't toy with them. We don't, we don't dance on that line as if the goal is, how close can I get to sin before I don't magnify the covenant faithfulness of God? We put it to death. We kill it before it kills us. Matthew 5.29, if your right eye causes you to sin, this is Jesus tear it out and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Am I, am I saying, Jesus saying, Are you saying, Pastor, I'm not allowed to watch that movie? Or I can't read that book? Or listen to that music? Or go to that club? Maybe, friend. Maybe. You you have to humbly consider whether that freedom you cherish is tempting you to sexual sin. Is it helping you to flee sexual immorality? Or is it making it harder? But Matthew, that sounds so legalistic. (laughs) Show me a Bible verse that says I cannot watch Game of Thrones. I dare you. Well, I can't. Because God wants you to do the hard work of finding out how to please the Lord. But I will say this. If you find yourself asking, how much nudity is too much? Then you are asking the wrong question. You're back to this. What's the right question? Does putting this image before my eyes help me or hinder me in magnifying the faithfulness of God by upholding the sanctity of sex? There's no neutral territory there. Ask this question. Does what I'm about to put in front of my eyes help me practice Job 31.1? I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Does it help you do Ephesians 5.3? But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Does it help you live 1 Timothy 5.2? Treat younger women as sisters in all purity? Does it help you walk out Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise? Think about these things. It doesn't matter how many people are watching it. It doesn't matter if your spouse says they're okay with you watching it. It doesn't matter if your friends think you are ridiculous for not watching that or weird for not going along with the crowd. Friend, bottom line, upholding the sanctity of sex requires humbly and wisely avoiding situations that present ready-made opportunities for sexual sin. We're not called to say, how close can I get to the line and still be a Christian? We are called to put to death whatever is earthly in us. Here's here's what I'm pleading for. Here's my plea. Please, friend, take, please, 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 take the enemy of sexual sin seriously. Take it seriously. Don't toy with this. Don't, Don't make peace with lust, or or negotiate some detente. Stop asking, how far can I go? Start asking, how can I run after holiness? What, What, yeah, this is important. What you're able to do, Christian, in a good conscience, may be different than what another Christian could do in good conscience which is why I don't publish lists of approved and unapproved movies in this church. Okay? Romans 14, if you don't know that chapter, go read it. But please hear me, especially if you are under 40. If you pride yourself on not being approved, or you like to boast about how unlegalistic you are, or or you enjoy flaunting your liberties, or you take secret internal pride in not being like all those conservative people in my church. You're not pleasing the Lord. You're gambling with your soul. Proverbs 7, 6. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through the lattice, and I've seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths. A young man, a young woman, lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart, it starts in the heart, turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Pastors aren't immune. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. He's not kidding. Please know where your greatest temptations to sexual sin lie. It may not be, it will not be the same for all of us, friend. But you have to know that. Where do they lie? So you can kill lust before it kills you. Point number four. This is good news after the last point. Pursue purity by the power of the gospel. Kill lust before it kills you. Pursue purity by the power of the gospel. I'll put this as succinctly as I can. Nothing will rob your strength for the battle. Like the soul crushing weight of condemnation. Or the futility of trying to cleanse yourself. Nothing will rob your strength. The stain of sexual sin cuts a lot deeper than most. That's why we're lingering on this for two weeks. We we feel our guilt, right? We feel our shame. It it doesn't matter how many years it's been since you had that affair or how many days it's been since you looked at pornography. As, As the hymn we sing declares, no work I do, no gift I give, can cleanse my conscience, cleanse my hands. I cannot cause my soul to live. But here's the good news, friend you don't need to because that is what Jesus came to do for you. Okay. He died so you could be forgiven of that, that, that thing, what what you're thinking about right now. And he died so that you could be set free. Romans 8:1. there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why not? Because it would feel good to say that? No, because the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Can Deuteronomy 5:18 alone, you shall not commit adultery. I, I shall not commit adultery. I shall not commit adultery. I put on eight sticky notes and post-it cards, whatever mirror I look into, wherever I drive, I just see you shall not commit adultery all around me. Will that change your heart? Never for God has done what the law Weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law, is it irrelevant? Has it gone away? Do we say that was just bad news, Old Testament? No. In order that the righteous requirement of the law during 518 might be fulfilled in us. How Lord who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Christian, the spirit of the living God dwells in you. Who is that spirit? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That's who that spirit is. You're not waging war as an underdog. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. So if you're listening to me and you say, but Matthew, you don't know. The lure of this sin is strong. Friend, the power of the spirit is greater. Amen. I don't need to know you or the abyss of wickedness you have fallen into, or how many times you've done what I've done or thought what I thought, to know that. The power of the spirit is greater. D-d- but Matthew, does the, the pull of this sin feels inevitable. The power of the spirit is greater. Are, are you weak and tired of resisting? The Spirit will renew your strength. Are, are you afraid you might stumble again in the future in some way, like so many other men and women have? The Spirit will guard you in all your ways. Psalm 32:7. What's, what's the Spirit do? You preserve me from trouble, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. What, what a picture that is, Christian, if you are in Christ. You walk out of these doors this morning the spirit of God dwells within you, you are surrounded wherever you go with shouts of deliverance. The gospel says, don't look to your own strength for salvation. Look to the Lord, look to the Holy Spirit. And and we have to not just, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to go back to this because there are so many times the fight for purity feels like an absolute hopeless cause. For many years in college, I thought, this is just a hopeless cause. Here's what's going through my mind. Why even bother struggling tonight if the last 20 times I have, I eventually caved? I'm tired of just even that fight. The next hour is going to be awful. Why not just sin, and then I can get back to whatever I'm supposed to be doing? Friend, here's why it's not a hopeless cause. If you're willing to persevere in the battle by by clinging to the promises of God, you will experience just how strong the Spirit of God really is. You will. I'm not promising you an unwavering victory march. You know, just like wow, I heard that message on the spirit. It's just been like onward and upward ever since. No, no, I am saying you are robbing your own joy when you deny the spirit an opportunity to prove that his power really is made perfect in your weakness. You're robbing your own joy. Don't do that. Because like like gold refined in a fire, the spirit will purify you. The Spirit will temper you. that The Spirit will steal your soul, though a thousand may fall at your right hand. that The decisive factor in this battle is not what you have done before. The decisive factor is whether you will look to the Lord and be delivered, or you will look to yourself and throw in the towel. So do not bewail your lack of self-control. I'm just not one of those self-control people. Maybe one day God will... Whack me up the side of the head and I'll have self-control and then I can please the Lord. Friend, if you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you right now, right now, you have all the power you need to say no to sin and yes to godliness. Don't come to me. Don't make an appointment with me and say, I'm waiting for the power. All the Spirit of God dwells within you, Christian, right now. Walk according to the Spirit. Rely on the power of the Spirit. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is not the fruit of the fear of getting caught or the fear of feeling condemned or the fear of having to tell an accountability partner what you did last night. None of those things will change your heart. But the Spirit can. The Spirit does. So let's confess to the Lord himself with Paul this morning. Lord, I can't but you can. I can't, but you can. Wait We wake up every day. This is bigger than sexual sin, right? What is the theme of our song? I can't, but you can. Tomorrow, I can't, but you can. That's the gospel, friends. And while we're lingering on this, I told my wife, Elisa, I said, I'm about ready to explode. There's just so much good news here. Here's another critically important way the gospel empowers us to pursue purity okay please hear this if you are in Christ by faith if you're holding fast to Christ you are not defined by the sexual sin you commit not back then not today not tomorrow you're not defined by that you and you need not wear walk around this building with a, a proverbial Scarlet letter. Your identity, your worth, your value, your your relationship with God, your your standing before God, your, your acceptance by God is grounded in the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ, not how many days it's been since you looked at porn. You realize that? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Yeah, that used to be your identity. But you were washed. Praise be to God, right? You were sanctified. Christian, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Here's what that means. God doesn't love you more on your good days and he doesn't love you less on your bad days. So do we grieve the father's heart when we sin? Absolutely. Does he rejoice and delight? When we we live in a way that is pleasing them, absolutely. But his love for you, his delight in you, is not grounded in what you've done for him, but what he's done for you. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's Paul's point. If God set his affection on you, Christian, when you were still far off, now how much more, now that you've been brought near, will he continue to love you for you have been eternally and irrevocably united to the son of his love? Your standing, your acceptance, The Father's delight in you. It it doesn't ebb and flow. Why not? It sure feels like it ought to. If I was God, my love for myself would be ebbing and flowing. Yeah, praise God, you're not God. Why doesn't it ebb and flow, Williams? Because the Father's love for the Son in whom you live and move and have your being does not ebb and flow. As, As much as the Father cherishes Christ, He cherishes you for real. And what an encouragement that is. What an encouragement. The fight for sexual purity. We're we're not fighting to gain anew or avoid losing God's love. We're fighting because we are perfectly and completely loved and, and the greatness, the, the magnitude, the staggering undeserved greatness of the gift compels us to trust and obey the one who laid down his life for us, knowing our final victory is assured because of the battle he already won. Romans seven twenty four, who will deliver me from this body of death? You ever felt like that? My body just brings death. My desires just bring death. Who will deliver me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters, above all else, please, 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 fight for purity by the power of the gospel. Let's pick up the pace a bit. Number five, look to God's people for help. I, I love encouragement in 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I think one of the devious lies, and I hear this all the time, that sin tells us is that we're unique, that we're alone, that no one is tempted like I am. No one is struggling like I am. No no one will understand what I'm going through. So we stay silent. We don't speak up. And that is exactly what sexual sin wants you to do because it's the opposite of all the plants in my garden. I love to garden. What do all the plants in my garden need? Light. Where does sexual sin thrive? In the dark. First John 1.7, but if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Notice how light, walking in the light is, is walking in community. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. James 5, 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Am I saying that the moment you share that struggle with a fellow Christian, it's like, whoa, accountability, fellowship, magic potion. Should have done this before. Like, boop, temptation, just, No. Don't come back to me and say, I tried that, it didn't work. What do you mean by work? No, I'm simply affirming what God himself says over and over and over again in his word. You will not make progress in the fight for purity if you're going at it alone. You won't. God gives grace to the humble friend. So humble yourself, ask for prayer. And and side note, think carefully about the best way to do that to confess struggle with sexual sin if you're talking to your spouse there is such a thing as selfish confession where we we dump out all the gory details of what we've done or what's going on just to get a load off our chest just to feel better that's not love so, so if God's convicting you of sexual sin and you need to confess it to your spouse, ask a wise brother or sister to help you think through, how can I do that in a way that loves my spouse and doesn't just take advantage of them or use them like some sort of functional priest in your life? Okay? Look to God's people for help. Number six, prioritize your neighbor's good. 1 Corinthians ten twenty three. Paul writes, all things are lawful, But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. But not all things build up. Let each one seek, no one seek, his own good, but the good of his neighbor. What's he talking about? Well, the fact that we're not just responsible to uphold the sanctity of sex in our own life. We're responsible as Christians to help the people around us to do the same right? How different that is from the selfish love that is the spirit of our age. What, what, what are we told in every popular song, every magazine, every, every clothing store? What are we told? Show the world just how hot you are, right? If you like it, show it. If you've got it, flaunt it. When I was growing up, I remember getting a handout called a modesty checklist. And as well-intended as I think that was, I do not believe that was particularly helpful. Why not? Because it reduced modesty to a list of outward behaviors. Right? It didn't emphasize the underlying heart attitude, which is what? Seeking our neighbor's good, loving your neighbor. But, but here's my concern today, okay? My concern as we approach the 30-something anniversary of our church this April, my concern is that in the guise of not being legalistic, we abandon the priority of love. Let me explain. For men and women alike, is what someone else does in their mind or in their heart, when they look at you, ultimately, their spiritual responsibility? we, We can answer that loudly. Yes. Okay? Yes, absolutely. Scripture never lets us excuse our sin, don't do this, by blaming it on what someone else is doing or wearing. But that doesn't mean that we have no responsibility whatsoever to help our brothers and sisters in the battle for sexual purity. Far from it, right? Because love compels us to ask important questions that are not easy to answer but must be answered. Examples. What is my goal in selecting the clothing I wear? Am I adorning my body in a way that honors the holiness of my body? Am I glorifying God in my body? Is, is glorifying God even my goal? Or, or is self-expression or, or making heads turn my goal? I'm, I'm not saying the uglier the outfit, the more it makes much of Jesus. Jesus. Okay? Don't come in wearing a trash bag next week. Okay? (laughs) Why not? Why not? Hang with me. To the contrary, we honor the Lord when we adorn his creation, our physical bodies, in ways that reflect God's beauty. Right? He cares about that too. I am saying we need to ask questions like, is what I'm choosing to wear likely to present a stumbling block to the people around me? Love asks that question. You come to me asking for a list, I won't give it to you because Scripture doesn't. It gives us the, the real question, though. And the answer to that question will vary from culture to culture and time to time. But it has to be asked. And please hear this. If something within you bristles when I'm talking about this, you're like, Matthew, you had to talk about modesty. How dare you? How, why, why can't you just stick with Jesus? Well, if that's where you're going right now, my friend, you, you do not understand the love of Jesus at all. Because love doesn't seek its own good, but the good of our neighbor. We need to love one another enough to ask hard questions and have the humility to be honest about where we're struggling. If, if you're in a men's or women's small group or community group, that's what we call our small groups at Kingsway, and the whole topic of sexual sin or sexual temptation never comes up unless the leader's like, well, Joe, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's like, that's not good. Okay, We need to have the humility to be honest, to ask hard questions, to answer hard questions, because in our day and age, the question is not if we're struggling with sexual temptation, but how. We need to love each other enough to to make conversation about the fight normal, not exceptional. Final point, number seven. Thank you for hanging with me. Remember the reward. Please remember the reward. I know of no greater incentive, no greater encouragement, no, no better reason to persevere in magnifying the faithfulness of God by upholding the sanctity of sex than Matthew 5 verse 8 where Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god see god Th- those who bear god's image are beautiful my wife is beautiful <laughs> but every one of us every supermodel that's ever lived pales in comparison To the beauty and majesty and glory of the Lord of hosts, my friend. And Jesus promises that that seeing him for who he is, not not only on the final day with our physical eyes, but also today through the eyes of faith, it requires something purity of heart, a pure heart. What what is at stake, in other words, in every choice we make this week to keep or ignore the seventh commandment? What's at stake, ultimately? nothing less than your ability to see and savor God himself. The, the gospel doesn't undo the fact that sin has consequences, okay? If you engage in sexual immorality, in your thoughts, with your eyes, with your body, you are blinding your soul to the goodness and glory of God. But, but when you choose to, to uphold the sanctity of sex, with your thoughts, your mind, your heart, your body. What, what are you doing? You're opening your eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. And that is why the fight for sexual purity is a fight of faith. Because when Jesus doesn't look glorious, or he doesn't feel satisfying, it is so easy just to run to other other things like sex. Because we just want to feel good, Right? And so we excuse our sexual sin. We say things like, well, if God wants me to stop, he better get busy proving that he's more amazing than that girl last night. I'm ready to be wowed, God, whenever you're ready to wow me. What's wrong with that attitude? A lot of things. But among other things, sexual sin will only make your dissatisfaction with God worse. It, it, it will dole your heart to the things of God. It, it blinds your eyes to the beauty of Jesus. Friend, you want to see God? If you, if you want to stand in awe of the Lord, what do you need to do? You need to uphold the sanctity of sex to, to pursue purity of heart. Why? Because it's a token we put in the slot machine. Then God's like, now open, see, no. Because then and only then do we position ourselves in the stream of God's sovereign grace. Where in his time, in his way, in his faithfulness, we can see God and savor God and enjoy God. For who he really, really is. God reveals himself to those who hold fast to him by faith, who who believe Jesus is better, even when he doesn't feel better because the word of God says he is better. That's faith. that's, That's the kind of faith that perseveres. And faith, think of it this way. Faith fights for holiness, for the sake of our joy in Jesus, with our eyes on the ultimate pleasure. What is that? Seeing him face to face. I'll leave you with this quote from Dennis Hollinger. He makes this very point. The absence of sex in heaven reminds us that the pleasures of sex are unable to yield final satisfaction. This is particularly important No kidding. In light of human attempts to turn sex into idolatry. By which some seek ultimate joy and pleasure. If sex is a yearning for connection and intimacy. It will no longer be significant. When we are fully and ultimately connected and intimate with our creator. Sex pales. In comparison to the heavenly marriage in which we will be fully one with the God who created and redeemed us in Christ, this does not minimize the joy, goodness, and worth of physical intimacy, but it reminds us that it is a sign of even greater things to come. You want to find motivation to uphold the sanctity of sex, thereby magnify the faithfulness of God. Friend, join all the saints who've gone before you in anticipating that day when something greater than sex stands before your eyes. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, how thankful we are that in a broken, fallen world with broken bodies and temptations abounding, that we can, as your people, anticipate a day when something infinitely greater than sex is waiting for us. Lord, would you strengthen our weary souls in this fight here and now by helping us to do the first thing we said today, to make you, Jesus, our greatest treasure. Because you are the treasure we will be treasuring for all eternity. Lord, would we, every time sexual sin knocks at the door of our mind and our life, would we answer that alluring invitation by remembering in that moment that sex points to you, to your faithfulness, to your love, and to the eternal satisfaction we will have in knowing you and being with you. Lord, it is really hard for some of us, if we're honest, to imagine a pleasure greater than sex. It is king of the hill many of our lives. Give us new faith today, Lord, to believe your word that there is a greater pleasure and to fix our eyes on that day and to treasure you in anticipation of that day so that on that day and in this day, we might know the joy of seeing God. Do that, we pray, Lord. Amen.